Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. I'm Julie Sedenko, and I'm here with Laura. She's a member of our Conquer membership program who's been married for 11 years and has two adorable boys, four and seven. Laura joined Conquer earlier this year. Laura and her husband are former missionaries. She joined Conquer earlier this year when alcohol began to play a big issue in their marriage, leading to financial, physical, emotional, and other abuse. Laura, thank you for being with us today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. So go back with us and you were missionaries for how many years on the field? I was a missionary kid, but as an adult, I was um, involved in missions for about five years. What led you guys to leaving the mission field? Um, Just life. We left to get married and start a family and we hoped to rejoin the mission field again after we got our family established. But things started to become destructive in your marriage. Tell me what happened. Well, we were kind of searching for couple friends in our area. And we became friends with several couples who were alcoholics that we were unaware of. And my husband had struggled with drinking as a teenager before I knew him. And so when alcohol started being presented at every function we went to, and he started to cope with the stresses of uh, married life and young kids and added responsibility. And um, when I would challenge him on how much he was drinking, it that's when the pushback really started to protect his addiction. There was a lot of lying, a lot of gaslighting to cover the drinking Um, It really began to escalate when I had looked at our financial statements after our first child was born, and I realized that he was spending hundreds of dollars every month, like $800 um, on food and drinks at different bars. And this was during working hours, even for lunches. So I called him out on that and just said, you know, we can't keep doing that. And that's when the financial abuse started, cutting me off from being able to see the finances. And, um, and it continued to progress from there. Um, there were several DUIs and car crashes and oh, wow. um, lies through all of that. and. He could not face the reality of the impact that his drinking was having. And so there was a lot of blame shifting and you know, to the point where I was second guessing the things I was seeing and hearing. Um, Give me an idea, Laura, of how that played out, because I think a lot of women deal with this blame shifting thing, but they don't necessarily know how to recognize it. So what did that look like in your marriage? So one instance would be, I found out about thousands of dollars of debt that I didn't know about. And he, when I confronted him about it, he said that the reason we were in debt was because of my car and because he was building me my house. 
not that those were decisions that we made together. Um, and so he was shifting all the financial blame onto me, even though I was cut off from access to the finances. And if I asked questions, I was shut down um, and made to feel like a child in our marriage instead of a partner. So that was one instance, you know, if I called him out on his drinking, he would say things like, well, I drink to deal with you. Mm. Um, there's so much drama in our marriage because uh, you love drama. It's not because of anything I'm doing. Um, your emotions have done more damage to this marriage than anything I've ever done. There were a lot of um, just, he wasn't accepting any part that he had. How did he do that when he got a DUI? That should have been a huge wake-up call, right? <laughs> well, you know, he, the first well, one. Was that your fault too? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the first one happened because I had gotten sick and was unable to take care of our child. And so I asked him to come home from work early and he had been drinking on the job and, yeah. um, and he flipped the car. Um, and totaled it. It was my car. <laughs> so I had no transportation after that either. And it was, you know, he was, he took a little bit of responsibility for that one, but it was still, I was the one who asked him to come home. And if he would have stayed at work, then he would have been sober by the time he drove home, or I should say under the limit by the time he drove home. And then the second one, that was the cop's fault. That wasn't my fault. That was, he, he hadn't been drinking. You know, he had, he had been drinking kombucha on an empty stomach and he would not allow them to breathalyze him. And so there was no physical evidence. So he didn't end up getting a DUI, but that was a lie he perpetuated for several years. That sounds pretty bad. Did it get worse? How bad did it get? So one time he was drinking and he started using his physical presence to scare me we were arguing so he was puffing his chest out and holding his hands you know and fists beside him and stepping towards me and saying what what like he was going to fight me and so I started backing away with my hands out and he um I, I said I'm, he said what are you scared of me and I said yes I'm, I'm scared of you and he said if I was going to hurt you I would hurt you and then he I'd backed up into a wall by that and he punched the wall beside my head. Mm -hmm. And then he told me to look at it in his drunken effort to prove to me that he wasn't going to hurt me, which of course was a manipulation to get me to stop trying to challenge his behavior. And I refused to look at it. And so he grabbed my face and was forcing me to, to look at it while I was screaming, hoping the neighbors would hear the police or call the police. My oldest son was there and witnessed the whole thing oh, so man. that was one of the worst times another one I was in a very isolated situation where I had no cell phone service no house phone we were in the process of building a home out on some raw land and no electricity in the house either at that point <clears throat> he had started to get physical and punch items around us and break things. And so I told him that I was going to go stay at his parents' house for the night. And I started to load my kids up in the car. And I put um, my oldest son in. And at this time, my youngest was still nursing. And I went back in the house to get him. And my husband stole the keys and told me that 
he was taking the kids. I was holding my, my baby and I had mace and I was about to mace my husband to get him to stop because I did not want him driving drunk with my children in the car. The wind was blowing towards me and I didn't want it to blow onto my child. And so I chose not to mace him and he took the baby from my arms and drove off with them and left me um, with no vehicle, no phone, nothing. He returned about 30 minutes later and thankfully no one was injured, but that was definitely the lowest point for me. Absolutely. That's terrifying. Uh, yeah, it was. It was very terrifying. I know some people are listening to this, maybe thinking, why didn't you just leave? In that situation, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom. I had no income. I was loved my husband, was committed to my husband. I knew him before the alcohol started. So to me, that wasn't, that wasn't him. Um, and I had hopes that he would change that he would wake up and realize what he was doing along the way there were a lot of promises there were several good months when he would stop drinking um, as far as I knew and it was quite um, yeah I mean I just felt really stuck and I just didn't know how to how to change anything it just felt like I had no choices in the, in the situation. Eventually you found Leslie in Conquer. How did you come about finding her? I had a friend who had been in a destructive relationship who um, told me about Leslie. And so I checked out her free stuff on the internet and I ate that up for about a year um, until I was financially able to join a conquer group. And um, I just would bathe myself in videos and podcasts that she was featured on. And through that, a few, a few other people I found along the way that spoke about the same issues. And it just, it totally transformed my view of the situation and uh, my responses. Do you remember any standout, whether it be videos or some of the conquer journey that you went through in the group that really opened your eyes? What were some of those highlights for you? Definitely changing your dance steps so that in, you know, we definitely had a pattern of these arguments and my responses and then how he would respond. I mean, I could play them out in my head often before they happened because the steps were so familiar. So learning how to not move from, you know, rescuer to victim, uh, to persecutor myself, because I definitely became controlling in my attempts to salvage our family. So that was really eye-opening for me. Um, also, her videos on people-pleasing, I had a lot of fear of man. I hated when anyone was upset with me. And so learning how, learning how to be okay with someone being upset with me instead of trying to fix it every time when, you know, I, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix my marriage. I could do my work, but I couldn't do my husband's work for him. That's a really hard place to get to, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very difficult place. You know, it just got to the point where I realized that I was not, liking who I was becoming. I was a shadow of 
my former self. And I wasn't willing to stay there anymore. It was the realization that no matter what he did, I wasn't happy with who I was and I wanted to change for myself. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a very, very tough place. It took me a long time to accept that he was being who he wanted to be at that point. I think that's so powerful because it can be very confusing when a woman is in a destructive marriage and so desperate to fix the marriage that she can become very controlling. She can become very angry. And suddenly the focus is on her because she's losing it. And then there's this confusion of, am I the destructive person? Is he the destructive person? It's very difficult. And I'm sure there are people listening to this right now that are feeling the same way. Yes. I, I became very controlling. You know, I was constantly looking through his receipts, trying to see if he was drinking or not. I was, I always needed to know where he was all the time because he would not be open at all about his drinking. And I would, I would be finding little hints that he was drinking like a coffee cup that, you know, didn't have coffee in it. It had alcohol in it at some point. So I'm going around smelling his coffee cups and just trying to discover the truth of what was happening amid amid all the lies. So I definitely became very controlling. I was very angry. I was yelling all the time at my kids and my husband. I had so much frustration that there was a problem that to me had such a straightforward answer of stop drinking, but I had no control over that. And so I didn't know how to conduct myself when I felt so trapped. And I definitely contributed to our to the escalation of everything. Tell me how you finally came to let go and what happened when you did. Letting go was really just an inner choice. I just was able to shift my mindset enough that I could almost look at the situation from outside of myself to choose to trust God that he is the one who leads people to repentance. He is the one who is my provider and my protector. I don't necessarily need my husband. My marriage is supposed to be a wonderful gift, but I, it's not a need. And I just came to the point where I realized that I would be okay, whether he continued drinking forever or not. And I just wasn't going to continue with the lying and the treatment that I'd been receiving but I couldn't change him. So I was going to start with myself. I was going to start becoming the woman that God made me to be. I know in the conquer program, safety is number one. And you were not necessarily living in a safe situation with a man who was drinking. Obviously he got volatile with you. At one point he put your kids in the car. How did you begin to set boundaries to stay safe during this time? I wouldn't say that I was the best at that. Um, boundaries are still something I am working on in my poor attempts of setting boundaries with him. Initially, it was me saying, you know, you can't drive with the kids when you're drunk and him agreeing. If he hadn't agreed, then we would be in a worse situation. I did bring his father into the situation and told him what happened. And he talked to him and said that that was completely unacceptable and held him accountable for that. 
So that wasn't an issue again. I started letting go of control of whether he was drinking or not. I started letting him, we tried so many times, like set different limits, different people for him to be accountable to. He finally said, just let me set my own limits. And I said, okay, I'm going to take my hands off. I'm going to let you set your own limits and we'll see what happens. But I did say, you know, no driving with the kids drunk. Those really aren't boundaries though, because you're no. getting vulnerable and you can't control that because the boundary exactly. is for you. So what would a, a true boundary would have been if you try to drive drunk with the kids, then I will call the police. Call the police. Or yeah. Whatever. I would have called the police the, the first time that that happened, except I had no access right. to a phone. <laughs> you, did, so you did have boundaries in your head of- yes. If this happens, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I can control, correct? Yes, I did. At one point, I did tell him that if it, if the lying continued and the drinking continued, that I would be leaving. I didn't stipulate exactly what that would look like, but we did reach the point where I told him that. What were some other changes that happened inside of you during this time, during your time of learning in Conquer? That's a good question. I guess, what were some of the other highlights or aha moments that you can remember? There's so many. <laughs> I think just educating, initially educating myself on the dynamics of an abusive marriage, as well as the dynamics of addiction, really gave me a lot of confidence. I also started going to counseling and my counselor told me that I wasn't crazy yeah. and that that was huge as I noticed for a lot of the women in Conquer because you do doubt your own sanity when you're being lied to and gaslit and you know told that that it's all your issue yeah just educating myself on on the dynamics and the cycle that happens so that I could see it you know, in when you're in the middle of all the chaos, it just feels very chaotic. But when you can see the patterns that are happening, then it's like you you can do something about it. That's huge because you you're so up close to it that you can't you know see the forest through the trees, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I think that's one of the big things that Conquer does is helps you to back up and be able to recognize those patterns and see what is happening in your marriage. Yeah, The marriage doesn't really have an option to change when you begin changing. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to get better or that the marriage is going to suddenly be wonderful, but how did your marriage begin to change as you did? Um, I started showing up to our conflicts in a different way. I had a different mindset. It wasn't about me getting my way. It wasn't about me getting validation from him for my pain. It was me coming in and being able to say, you know, this hurt me, or this was incorrect behavior, and letting go of his response. You know, and I did learn some boundaries as far as if he was trying to gaslight me in the situation. I had some responses I would use, such as, I don't accept that, or well, this is my experience. Um, thank you for sharing your point of view, but I disagree. Just having even those little responses to stand up for myself in the situation made 
me not become so angry. I didn't need him to even hear me because I was standing up for myself. I was stating what was true and then letting him deal with it. Whether he wanted to look at it or not, that was his choice. But I said what I needed to say. I did whatever consequence needed to happen. And I was determined I was going to live in the truth and no longer live in the, the lies and the gaslighting and the hiding. And when I started showing up differently, he also started showing up differently. He didn't get as defensive. And so I think he was able to start hearing me a little bit more. Um, I think it was really impactful. Um, one discussion that we had, I caught him in a lie again. And I just said, hey, I'm going to let you be the man that you want to be. But just so you know, I'm growing and I'm changing. And I'm just going to let you be the man you want to be. But please do not lie to me. Left it at that. And I think because I didn't turn it into a huge blow up argument, he was almost forced to look at himself instead of just putting all his focus on his horrible wife and her responses. Sometimes we so desperately want them to care, to care about what they've done, to care about what, how they've hurt us, hurt the kids, hurt our finances. And it is so devastating emotionally when they don't, that it can flip, flip you out. It was still hurtful when he wouldn't hear me or where I didn't get the validation that would have been nice to have from him. But I had reached the point where I had kind of grown a little bit of a backbone and knew that I didn't need his acceptance. I needed God's acceptance. And I had that. That was a, a big change for me because previously my relationship with my husband was not, even my side of it wasn't pleasing to God. And I was determined to to make that my priority. Where are you guys at now? Well, now my husband is going to counseling and he has been sober for, I think it's about six months now, maybe seven. And there's still some underlying beliefs that have the potential. I don't know if he's really gotten the skills yet to deal with the major stresses in life. He's still doing his work for sure. Um, but I would say that our marriage isn't destructive anymore currently. I would say it's difficult and we're still growing, but we actually can laugh together now and have discussions where he does hear me. He's not as afraid of my emotions now. We're growing closer. Yeah, I'm trying to continue to do my own work while he does his, and it's looking fairly positive. But I know that if he goes back to drinking, back to the destructive behavior, I know that I'm going to be okay. I know that no matter what choices he makes, that, that I'll be okay. And I'm not willing to go back to how it was. So even if his behavior reverts, mine is not going to. Wow. How did the alcoholism and the dynamic of the marriage affect your children? I know they're young. So my kids definitely knew how, knew when, when dad was drinking, you know, if, if my youngest toddler saw a beer, he would, you know, say, oh, that's daddy's favorite drink. 
they definitely knew. My oldest, who witnessed the physical instance in our marriage, he was definitely impacted. He's brought it up to me every few months since it happened. And that was quite a few years ago. I think he was three when that happened. He's seven now. And yeah, so. How does he bring it up? He'll say, remember that time when daddy hurt you? And he just wants to talk about it. Or if he has a conflict with another friend and we're discussing, you know, how he should have behaved himself and stuff, he might bring it up then. It's definitely something that he has been trying to process through at all his different stages of development. Has your husband dealt with it with them? No, he has not. I'm hoping to eventually broach that subject with him. The most recent time that my son brought it up was at the dinner table with my husband there, but that was pretty close to the beginning of his, this current stint of sobriety. I don't think my husband was ready to address it yet. And so he didn't say a word about it. So I just talked with my son about it and said, yes, that was wrong. And daddy's knows that that was wrong. And he was, he's told me that he's sorry and he's not, hasn't done that again. So that's kind of how we have just talked about it. But I do hope eventually my husband will sit down and talk to him. Do you have a fear that your sons may struggle with alcohol or how will you deal with that when the time comes? Um, I definitely do. Where I live, drinking is very prevalent culturally, even among high school age. It's very, very prevalent. And so I do worry about that, but my my hope is to educate them enough while they're young that they they make different choices. Laura, if you were talking to a woman who's listening to this and her husband is struggling with addiction, you know, somebody who's in the place that you were, what do you wish someone had told you and what would you like to say to our listeners? I would say, you know, trust your gut. Most of the time when you think that they're lying, they probably are. And that God sees everything. He sees your pain. He sees your struggle. He sees how hard you have fought for your marriage. And no matter what responses you get from family or friends or your church or your community, God sees and he knows. He is your support and he's right there with you, holding your hand through all of it. And even if your spouse never turns from their addiction, you have options, you have choices. And you can improve your situation and still be the woman that you want to be in that situation. Do you have any specifics or memories as to how God was real to you during this time? Oh, there's so many. When my husband had his first car crash, the morning that he left, as I was saying goodbye to him, God just dropped this thought in my head. He's going to get in a car wreck today. And I ran back out to the car and just gave him a hug and said, I love you. And then a few hours later, he was in a car wreck. Honestly, I think that that situation was one of God's attempts to reassure me that he was with me to let me know that, that even that car wreck and my husband getting in trouble for the alcohol was God's hand of grace. Mm -hmm. and mercy and an opportunity for my husband to turn from his sin 
and to take it seriously. Unfortunately, my husband did not choose to do that, but I was able to get through that situation and the financial cost of all of it with a knowing that God already knew what was happening. Um, so that was a very, a very real moment for me. Another time there was a Christmas Eve party, a work party for my husband. On the way to that, I was just praying and thanking God for conquering everything I had been learning and just talking to God about the new year and the goals that he wanted me to have for the new year and just really spending a wonderful time driving to this party and worship and feeling God's love and his presence with me. And then my husband got trashed at that party to the point where I said, okay, well, I'm leaving. I let him know. I said, you're drunk. You're acting like a fool. You can either ride home with me right now, or you can spend the night here. You are not driving home. Those are your options. You can choose, but I'm going home. And so he chose to stay. I went home. God met me in that place. It was quite a bit of anxiety. Is he going to drive home? Is he going to choose to do that? You know, is this ever going to stop? Just really a dark place. And God just reminded me of like what a sweet time we had just had in the car together of God and I. And mm -hmm. that even if my husband wasn't there, that would continue no matter what choices he made, that God would still meet me and be with me and that my life could be okay without him because of God's goodness and mercy. Wow. Is there anything else that you want to add? I guess I would just say, don't, don't stay isolated. You know, if you find yourself in a situation where your family and friends don't know what's happening, or you feel confused about what's happening, reach out to somebody even if it's scary, having a community of people who will support you, even if it's just to tell you that you're not crazy, you know, that something that seemed off to you seems off to them as well. You need a voice other than, than your husband's if you're in a destructive marriage, informing you about the situations that you're in. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being so vulnerable and candid with us today about your experience. And I really know that there are women listening today that would want to thank you as well, because you've given them some concrete hope and help in dealing with their destructive marriage and addiction. Thank you, Julie. It's yeah. The work that you guys do is invaluable. So thank you. God bless you. A quick update to Laura's story. She was honestly terrified to be interviewed for this podcast but said she wanted to put her brave on and face her insecurities. So she took a step of faith and as a result has decided to return to school to become a counselor. Her area is in major need of female counselors who understand the dynamics of abuse. Taking the step of faith to be interviewed for this podcast boosted her confidence to pursue the path God has for her. I pray you will join all of us here at Leslie Vernick & Co. to pray for Laura, her marriage, career, and the incredible future God has in store for her family. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go to leslievernick.com for more resources. If this show was helpful to you, please subscribe and share, and we'd love your honest rating and review. Until next time, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.